finding freedom in truth, pursuing truth in scripture. This is the Mormon Hope Podcast with Brandon Vaughn and Dave Malinak. Welcome into the Mormon Hope Podcast. I am Brandon Vaughn along with Dave Malinak. Pastor Malinak is the pastor of Berean Baptist Church in Ogden, Utah. I'm the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Logan, Utah. And we love to use this Mormon Hope Podcast as a platform by which to uh, just reach out and have a conversation with our LDS friends and neighbors. And each week in 2024, we're following along with the Come Follow Me curriculum and giving a review from a Christian perspective. And this week, we're going to be looking at uh, Nephi, First Nephi chapters 6 through 10. And the lesson is, come and partake of the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, Pastor Malinak, hope you're doing well. Hope you're not yes, sir. too snowed in with this blizzard we're having right now. <laughs> we're getting a little snow here. I guess you are probably getting a lot more than we are. Hey, I got to ask you, did uh, did you do your homework? Are you talking about with the come follow me? Yeah. Of course. I wouldn't be doing a podcast without it. Like I said, I'm, I'm in yeah. it, man. I'm dedicated. Yeah. Like Me too. Like I said last week, I mean, I'm watching all the videos. I'm reading the lesson plan. Yep. Um, Same here. You know, they, I read and the reread. I'm, looking, I'm even watching the videos, man. The yeah. I've been watching all the videos that go along with each yep. chapter. And yep, so, uh, they, yeah, they put man. together, you know, the videos help to illustrate. Um, and it, I found myself reading, especially first Nephi eight. I read a few times trying to, um, grasp what, uh, is happening there. And, um, and then I watched the video and I could see that, and it made some things a lot more clear. Um, so I'm, you know, the, the videos are high quality and, uh, they've done a good job illustrating, or demonstrating the story. It is a story of a family here, and so. But but like you, I wouldn't think of um, giving a, a a critique or a um, an analysis of the Book of Mormon without reading it. And uh, so, uh, it's uh, I got my homework done before we did this. Yeah, well, I watch the videos first, and I go back and do the the reading in the Book of Mormon, and I find myself like as I'm reading, visualizing the video clips. So, yeah, I mean, it really, it really has helped me to kind of, you know, visualize the narrative. Um, I always so, like to read before I watch. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just a habit. Uh, I guess I'm, a, I guess I'm a cheater then. <laughs> but, uh, so I just want to, uh, before we get into this. Um, you know, we are contrasting the LDS teachings with biblical Christianity. And, you know, they're not the same. They're, they're just not. And, and so, you know, if, if we're building on a foundation of sand, I think it would probably be a loving thing to do for somebody to right. just kindly point that out. So like right. we're exactly we are not here again to throw stones or Mormon bash. We want people to know the truth of the gospel of grace and that there is freedom in Jesus Christ. And so Amen. you know, if we have to if we have to, you know, talk about and expose the 
faulty foundation for the truth. I mean, sometimes you just have to do that. That's not a hateful thing to do. Yeah. And so just, uh, again, we invite our listeners to just investigate our truth claims. Because, I mean, we, you know, truth is really what matters here. What is true? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, just, just I think a this few is a good time. To, Sorry. I think this is a good time also just to point out a couple things from past, from previous podcasts that we've done. Uh, we did a, a couple years ago a, a full broadcast, a full podcast, uh, in which we discussed the um, Mormon church's leaning, their drift towards LGBTQ friendliness. Yes. And uh, this week, a couple big things happened in that regard, didn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, this is a, a great time for me to put a shameless plug in here. <laughs> That's but, right. Uh, I was hoping you would. So, yeah, the the Ward Radio guys, they're an unofficial – you know, they always have to say that, but they're an unofficial LDS uh, podcast, YouTube channel. And um, to their credit, they actually talked about this issue. And, yeah. you know, they were trying to say that it, it would never change in the church. The LDS church would never affirm yeah. gay marriage. So I did a video response, and you can see that on my personal YouTube channel, Brandon Vaughn and – and yeah. uh, but all, it was funny because like the very next day, um, it came out that the LDS Church just hired a communications director who is I mean he's just openly affirming right. of the LGBT. He even uses yep. this guy even uses pronouns. Yeah, on right. social media. He goes to pride right. events. Yeah. So yeah, I feel this bad is not, for the Word Radio guys and and others. I've listened to a number of Mormons try to explain why the church won't embrace uh homosexuality and i feel bad for them because i know they they are convinced that the church won't and meanwhile we're sitting back watching yep there's another step there's another step and there's another step and honestly um when when it comes to giving explanations why the church won't embrace homosexuality i haven't heard a compelling reason given and i listened to the ward radio guys and what I heard there was those guys um, scratching around trying to find a reason and unsuccessful. Absolutely. So we'll see how that uh, unfolds. But I think there's a slight bit of panic among the people that are actually paying attention. Yeah, um, that for sure. For sure. But just to just to start this episode out uh, for this week's Come Follow Me. Just to give kind of a 30,000-foot view before we dive in, um, in First Nephi chapter 6 through 10, I mean, obviously, for brevity's sake, we can't cover, you know, verse by verse or even chapter by chapter, but the main thrust of this section is Lehi's vision of the tree of life. Right. And so it's, um, and it's really... Um, it is obviously a prophecy uh, about Christ and salvation and all of those types of things. But there's uh, some things that we just wanted to point out about this whole thing. And, and before we get to the actual points, um, I guess each week we're probably going to have to have a just a short segment on one of these things is not like the other. And I'm talking about <laughs> the, the, yes. the, the Bible versus the Book of Mormon. Right. Yes. So I just I did have to point this out. So in the first two verses of First Nephi chapter six, 
um, he, you know, Nephi is talking about the brass plates. And he says, I, Nephi, do not give the genealogy of my fathers in this record. Neither at any time shall I give it after upon these plates, which I am writing. And then in verse 2, he says, uh, for it sufficeth me to say that we are descendants of Joseph. In other words, <laughs> just take my word for it. Yeah, yeah. I was That's a say, theme repeated in this book. <laughs> yeah. Well, just take my word for it. <laughs> well, in the Old and New Testaments, I mean, you have very clearly laid out genealogies that can oh, be yeah. investigated, you know. Nearly and, every and had, character is yes, a genealogy had, is given of some you know, kind. So it's like, it's like they had an opportunity to prove the historicity of what's being said, and they didn't yeah. take it. Yeah, that's right. That's so, right. Maybe uh, because they didn't to, have it. I just it. had to point that out. Yeah, but uh, you know, if you um, anytime you have a character, and I thought this when I saw Ishmael, I thought, who in the world is Ishmael, and where did he come from? And yeah. I think I had the same question with Laban the last time. Who are these people? And uh, in the in the Old Testament, in particular, you always get a, um, you know, you get. Uh, the name of the person, the son of so-and-so, not 100%, but most of the time uh, you're told who their father was at, at a minimum. Uh, but uh, the Bible puts great emphasis on genealogy, but also actually names the genealogy. So you can go back and trace and see connections and that kind of thing. So Yeah, and I it was just kind was of, it was funny. a little bit humorous to me because in the first five chapters, you have the yeah. story about all the trouble that these <laughs> brothers went to to get these brass plates. And you get to chapter six, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just not even going to. Yeah, that's right. Gonna... The brass plates were all about the genealogy. And now that we have them, eh, we're not even going to bother <laughs> to go through all that with you. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> you don't need to know. <laughs> just take our so word for it. There's our uh, one of these things. It's not like the other for the week. Yeah. But let's Another go thing ahead that and... I thought was interesting, uh, going back to the tree of life, I thought this was interesting. In the Bible, the tree of life shows up, of course, in the Garden of Eden, and it shows up in the book of Revelation uh, in heaven. In between, so, so the Bible begins and ends with the tree of life. Now, I'm trying to think if it makes an appearance anywhere else in the Bible in between those two, but I, I do that. know that in the middle— between the Old and New Testament, you have the tree of life, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. When he died on the cross, that was the tree of life uh, for those that believe. So now that we've kind of given a somewhat brief overview, let's just go ahead and um, get into the major points that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Go ahead and read that first one, Pastor Melanette. Okay, first point, the Book of Mormon conditions its people to believe without objective reasons. Yeah, and we mentioned this even last week, but it really goes to a new level this week. I mean, even to the point of, uh, I mean, really, honestly, when, when you look at uh, Lehi's vision and when you look at the way he talked to Nephi and Sam, and basically like, you believe me, so you're going to be saved. Yeah. And he, he looks at uh, Lemuel and Laban and says, uh, well, you're in trouble because you didn't believe me. It almost seems like salvation is contingent upon believing the prophet. That's a terrifying precedent. 
Right. Yes. Yes. And there's not any reason given to believe. And really, it's uh, I'm saying this as an outsider, someone who's not thoroughly versed in all of this, but I am struggling very much. I'm struggling mightily to see what the point is of all this. Like, what point is Lehi making that they're supposed to believe? Um, to begin with, and why is it a big deal? Uh, that's unprecedented in the Old and New Testament. You always know exactly what God is aiming at. You always know why he wants you to do what he wants you to do. And you always know now. there's always a reason that's given. And God never demands that we believe something with lack of evidence. So we're never just required to take his word for it. And and that's the thing that staggered me, because certainly God has the authority to say, you believe what I tell you, but he doesn't. He always gives us reasons to believe, objective reasons for believing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as Christians, obviously we have faith, but we don't have blind faith. And yeah, so that's it's, right. not, it's not the same thing. It's really not. That's right. I had some people reach out to me this week and tell me that I taught them a new word um, this week. They had never heard the word before uh, that we used in the podcast last week. And that I'm was curious. the word fideism. Oh, um, yeah. Well, what was fideism, funny is I tried, to, I tried to read it from your list and I couldn't even do it. <laughs> uh, well, fideism um, is faith for faith's sake. It's just uh, having faith. Not really in anything, but just the exercise itself that um, you are trusting in your faith, not in not. So faith has to have an objective. Faith has to have a resting point, uh, a, a resolution point, um, a point where it resolves. And fideism just says, I have faith, so I'm OK. Yeah, that's uh that's a scary proposition. Look, our faith will never be greater than the object of our faith. That's right. That's right. And faith really, and that's where people, I think, misunderstand. Uh, biblical faith is um, an embracing of what Jesus has taught us, what God has taught us in his word. Um, it is so Faith, I think Spurgeon beautifully described faith in his uh, wonderful little book I highly recommend called All of Grace. Oh, All yeah. of Grace. Um, he describes faith as the hand that receives the gift. So uh, it is man's hand, however weak and helpless it is, that is simply open and able to receive that gift. And, and Spurgeon points out that when God gives us his grace, he just he's giving us a gift. He doesn't put that gift on our head. He doesn't put it on our ear or in our ear or on our feet, but he puts, us in, puts that gift in our hands. So the hand is what receives the gift from God, and that's faith, is receiving that gift. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so, and I think um, I think this is you know something that we're going to see pretty consistently throughout this well, narrative. It's it's essentially faith in nothing, for lack of a better term. Right. Well, in in these chapters of Nephi, what I see repeated over and over this conditioning that's taking place 
is that the reader is being told that the good people are the ones who believe and the bad people are the ones who don't believe. And so you know, Lehi comes in, he claims to have this, uh, this vision from God, this instruction from God, and his family is marked based on uh, their reception of it. Either they believe it or they don't believe it. And, and you know, we've all encountered people who uh, make you make a decision about them. Uh, and you're either with me or you're against me. Now, Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. And Jesus said that with authority. In fact, he's the only one who can make that kind of claim and make you make a choice about him, not about what he's saying, but about him himself. Now, Jesus, of course, didn't limit that decision to himself. He didn't make it just a personal decision, but uh, because Jesus said, if you don't believe my words, believe me for the work's sake. Uh, he's working these miracles uh, in front of the people. They're undeniable. They can't, they can't refute the miracles that he's working. I think in particular of the man that was born blind in John chapter 9, when Jesus healed him and the, the unbelievable lengths that the religious authorities went to try to discredit that or refute that miracle, and they could not. And the yeah. same thing in John 10 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They can't refute it. They, in fact, want to kill Lazarus, which is hilarious uh, that they want to do that. But uh, but Jesus is not making them just make a choice about himself. You're either with me or against me. This is a mark, in fact, and I'm going to use the word, even though I know that LDS folks will be highly offended by it. But this is a mark of a cultish mindset when yeah. people are asked, and in fact, the demand is made that I merely take a man's word for this and I either believe him or I don't. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it is. It's, um, you know, unquestioned leadership and unquestionable yeah. leadership is that's I mean, that's cults 101. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so this really takes us to our second point. <laughs> and, and that is um, so I, I told you that I watched the videos that go along with the lessons and I had it pulled up on the TV and my 15 year old son, Wesley, is watching it with me. And he, he looks over at me and he says, Dad, you know, he said, Lehi is kind of like a great value brand of Abraham. <laughs> and he said, That's I mean, right. like he gets this call and he he's commanded to take his family and, you know, yeah. go to a foreign country that is even called the promised land in yeah. First Nephi. And so yeah. that really, you know, led me to play devil's advocate a little bit. And I said, you know, uh, what would we say would be the key differences between maybe like a Lehi and Abraham. That's just totally different. The biblical, you know, old Testament prophets versus like Lehi. Boy, so many things for one thing, um, God was telling Abraham. In fact, when he called him out of Ur, the Bible tells us in the new Testament that God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. Because yeah. what God told Abraham was that I'm going to make of you a great nation. Um, so there's a purpose in him leaving. It's not just um, go blindly yeah. follow me. Um, it is that I'm going to make of you a great nation. And so God is explaining this to Abraham. And Abraham believes him, of course, 
uh, and and that's counted to him for righteousness. So I would say that's probably the biggest and the mo- the major difference. Well, another one that came to my mind is the fact that uh, the story of Abraham is recorded by Moses, and nobody questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, or one of Abraham's kids, right? Yes, um, like Nephi is the son of Lehi. Yeah. But, uh, you know, nobody questions whether or not Moses actually existed or whether he was a respected historian uh, within Jewish history or, you know, nobody like these are all question marks with with this whole right. story of, of Lehi. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so and another thing, too, is Abraham is referenced multiple times in the New Testament, both by Christ and the apostles. That's right. Lehi has never, so far as I know, I've never seen Lehi, Nephi. I haven't seen Sam um, in the New Testament ever. And we're gonna we're gonna get to that actually in point three on a, on a deeper level. But uh, yeah. you know, again, it's just not it's just not the same. Like I've right, you know, having devoted so much of my life to you know studying the Bible and you know, church history and just so many different things that tie into this, uh, you know, even reading the Book of Mormon, like I just, it's just not the same. Right. Um, yeah, the the promised land, just just thinking about the context, uh, because First Nephi is written in 600 BC, it is right before uh, the Jerusalem is sacked and the Israelites carried into captivity in Babylon, and um, it's the prophetic activity at that time is all focused on the captivity. And uh, Jeremiah, who's mentioned in these chapters again, Jeremiah is telling the people to surrender to the Babylonians and go into captivity because God is doing this and he's doing it intentionally uh, in order to strip away your idols and that you will return. So Jeremiah is saying all these things um, to have this one family that God says uh, you're to leave and go to really to the Red Sea um, and to that region and essentially to escape is an odd thing because the prophets were all consistently saying to the people, don't go to Egypt, don't flee to Egypt. Um, so the claim is made here that God told one family to go to Egypt um, in that time. And and again, for no apparent reason, uh, there's, not, there's not a redemptive purpose in this. And that's the other thing, I think, back to your point, um, with Abraham, his call out of Ur was for redemption for redemption to bring redemption to mankind this was part of the story that God is telling of our redemption uh, and in Levi it seems like more self-preservation honestly but it certainly isn't anything redemptive well I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves but I'll mention it you know since it is here and that is we kind of see a, a sneak preview of another great theme among the Mormons and that's you know, Mormonism is very much an Americanized religion. Yeah, absolutely. And even considering the Americas, the promised land to me is just so, again, it's just the Old Testament prophets, they just never would have understood that. The Jews, like no. it's just, 
it's just its own thing. I mean, I don't I don't know what else to say. Yes. Yeah, you're but, exactly right. I think that you were heading to a point about the family centered um, thing. It is America centered as well as a religion, but um, the 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 big thing in the family, I think, in the family of Lehi, uh, that kind of shows up, and and I think that you know, just having interacted with the LDS for many years, twenty plus years. In fact, I think we're coming up on twenty five here real soon. Um, the I think I I sent you a text. We were texting back and forth earlier, and I commented the family ties that bind and gag. And yeah. uh, our LDS neighbors, I have found there's this seething resentment on the uh, among many of them that feel almost imprisoned by the family uh, that they're in. Yeah. Um, again, I know we're saying some hard things that our LDS neighbors will probably um, be angry at, but I think that. I think that there's a, that ugly underbelly, that ugly underside that, um, you know, families are forever becomes uh, a, f- a form of tyranny for many. In many ways, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, before we, um, before we kind of veer off track a little bit here, you know, we were talking about Lehi versus Abraham you know, as far as being prophets. And that really takes us to point number three. That's right. And that is that the Book of Mormon doesn't use prophecy the way that the Bible does. And now we were talking before the podcast, and you brought up some brilliant points about how the Old Testament prophets and their prophecies always had a near and far meaning. And I I want to let you get to that. But before you do that, like if you want to look at it from the Old Testament pointing forward, I kind of want to look at it from the point of view of the New Testament pointing back. And then yeah, I'll let you yeah. get to that. So, uh, you know, in the New Testament, you have over 200 complete citations from the Old Testament. Right. But if you take in the partial citations and the allusions to the Old Testament, you have over a thousand instances in the New Testament that points back to the Old Testament. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, right. e- even Jesus, uh, you know, he essentially uh, put his stamp of approval on the entire Old Testament canon um, when he talked about the, how um, the Jews shed the blood of the prophets from Abel to Zechariah. That's yeah. that's the first prophet in the Old Testament, all the way back in the book of Genesis, right. all the way to Zechariah, which is really right there at the, the end one. of yeah of yep. the Old Testament canon. So he's pretty much saying that all of those between Abel and Zechariah were legit. Yeah, that's right. And and yeah, he also in Luke twenty four he references himself in the Law of Moses. The Psalms and the Prophets, which is again every genre of the Old Testament, right? And so, when when the New Testament writers, the you know Christ and the apostles, when they make all these references to the Old Testament, not only are they revealing fulfilled prophecy, but they are putting their stamp of approval on the Old Testament as authoritative scripture. Yes, and so what a comfort to know. 
that when Jesus talks about the writings of Moses, we can trust the writings of Moses. Yes. Uh, you know, when they quote the Psalms and when they quote uh, the other Old Testament prophets, we, we can rest assured that we're actually reading the Word of God inspired through those writers. Yeah. That's and not isn't true. It interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. That um, Jesus and the apostles of the New Testament seem to know nothing about the Book of Mormon and those prophets. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. They don't ever cite them. Not one. Not once. And, and, you know, if they did, then that would certainly give us kind of like we talked about how in First Nephi 6, he's not going to give the genealogy of his fathers. Well, if he had. Well, then we would have yeah. something to actually investigate. If, yeah. if Jesus or the apostles had quoted from any of the Mormon prophets, we would instantly have to throw up our radar and say, now, wait a second, there might be something to this, but it yeah, never that's happens. Right. That's right. Yeah, but they don't. Yeah. I think that the other point is that um, the Book of Mormon treats prophecy uh, – Exactly the opposite, really. Um, it's the antithesis of the way the, the Bible, especially the Old and New Testaments, um, treat prophecy. So um, for Christmas, for December a year ago, I went through the prophetic passages that pointed to the Messiah, and I preached through each of them from the perspective of the prophet. So Isaiah, Hosea 11.1, 1, um, Micah 5.2, uh, Jeremiah, I think it's 33. I can't remember uh, the reference exactly. But uh, Rachel weeping for her children. And I preached each of those passages. Then this year, I went through and just preached expositorily through Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. And, of course, in Matthew chapter 2, you have almost a rapid fire at the end of the chapter now, you have Matthew saying that it might be fulfilled. Uh, of course, um, in Matthew uh, chapter 2, um, it, when uh, the wise men come to Herod, Herod uh, comes, it calls the religious authorities to tell him where the Messiah is supposed to be born, and they, re- they quote verbatim almost uh, Matthew, uh, Micah 5 and verse 2. Yes. And um but then earlier in I in Matthew chapter 1 you have the prophecy of Isaiah uh that a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Okay, so all of that that's really long. I'm sorry for that. Uh let me try and get everybody back. <laughs> uh, way too much verbiage there. Okay, so the Book of Mormon treats prophecy as prediction fulfillment. And that is not what we see in the Bible. In the Bible, what you see is the prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, um, Jeremiah, who are referenced in Matthew, those prophets are not predicting something about the Messiah. They're not even predicting the Messiah. Now, everything in the Old Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah and ultimately is fulfilled in the Messiah, including the law, which Jesus said not one jot or tittle would fail from the law until all was fulfilled. And of course, he is the fulfillment 
of the law. Christ is the end of the law to them that believe. So this is what the Bible teaches. Okay, so back to what I'm saying here. What you see is Isaiah, for example, Isaiah 7, where the prophecy of the virgin birth is made. Isaiah isn't talking about the virgin birth there per se. He is giving a sign to Ahaz. He's told, God told Ahaz to ask for a sign that Israel would be preserved. And Ahaz piously refused to test God. And so Isaiah said, I'll give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Okay, so Isaiah is promising something that is going to be fulfilled in Ahaz's lifetime. So this is not something that Ahaz is just going to have to believe and wait, you know, 600 years, 700 years until it's fulfilled. This is something that is fulfilled immediately in Ahaz's lifetime. He sees it. He knows that that's what Isaiah was talking about. So then when Matthew says that it might be fulfilled, he doesn't mean prediction fulfillment. What he means is that Jesus is the fullest sense of what happened in the Old Testament. Jesus gives us the fullest sense of, for example, uh, Rachel weeping for her children, because in Christ's day, and let's look at it that way, in Christ's day, Herod went into, okay, so so let me back up. Jeremiah prophesies that Israel's going to be carried into captivity, um, but that they're going to survive. And in Ramah, the uh, Babylonians gathered all the people of Israel, and from Ramah, they carried them into captivity in Babylon. And that's why Rachel was weeping for her children. Yes. Ramah is about uh, five miles north of Bethlehem, of, um, of uh, Jerusalem. Bethlehem is about uh, a couple miles south of Jerusalem, so they're not the same place. But when Herod the Great, in order to destroy the Messiah, orders the murder of all the babies of Bethlehem, Herod the Great uh, slaughters those babies, and that is the fullest sense of Rachel weeping for her children, and in fact, the final weeping for her children, because um, Ramah was in Benjamin, and that was, so Rachel weeping for her son Benjamin. Bethlehem was in Judah, um, but Bethlehem was, I'm sorry, I've got that wrong. Ramah was in Ephraim. It was in uh, so the northern ten tribes of Israel uh, were the Ephraimites, uh, or considered often called Ephraim, um, and that was the son of Joseph. Okay, so that's I'm all starting to sound like the Book of Mormon in the sense that it gets confusing. All these so, names. But, well, really, just to encapsulate that. Yeah, the Old Testament prophets, when they prophesied. They, it always had like a near and far meaning. It, their prophecies really meant something to the audience that they were speaking to at the time. But then the greatest fulfillment came later on. And that's right. You know, that, that just shows the biblical prophecy is just so perfect. It cannot be replicated. That's um, right. And so you, ha- you have to understand. Well, I mean, even, even like going back to the very first prophecy in Scripture, Genesis 3.15. You know, you know, now that Christ has come, 
We understand That's that right. he is the seed of the woman that crushed the head of the serpent while he was bruised on the cross. We understand that. Yeah. But even even to Adam and Eve, uh, you know, when she gave birth to Cain, just one chapter later, uh, the name Cain means I have gotten a man from the Lord. And yeah. so, so uh, you know, it meant something to her. Right. And yeah, so I think she thought she had the Messiah. Yeah, exactly. Very well could have. And so, but, but our point, you know, coming back to the lesson in Come Follow Me this week, we don't see that with Lehi. What is the immediate point? What, what, is, yeah. what is being conveyed to his immediate yeah. audience that found a later fulfillment? We just don't see that. Right. Well, especially First Nephi 10, which is, I mean, it's so specific in all the things and tells you specifically we're talking about the Messiah. And, and I think this is the big, probably this is the biggest point here. When the Bible makes predictions and prophecies, uh, or when the prophets speak prophetically, they're not trying to convince you by means of prophecy that this is authentic. Okay, so the Bible isn't trying to persuade anybody. But no. when you read First Nephi 10, what you see is someone is trying to show you that, yeah, this is also because it predicted all these things 600 years beforehand. Uh, so they're trying to prove that they're also authentic prophets. Uh, and that's not what the Bible is trying to do. The, the prophets weren't trying to prove anything. The prophets were speaking for God, speaking yeah. prophetically. Exactly. And I know I mentioned this in a previous podcast, Once Upon a Time, but while we're here, I'll just you know briefly say this, and then we'll go on to our final point. But something else that has to be understood here is that you know Joseph Smith, and nobody would argue that Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon and, and these things that we're talking about. Right. The question is, did, was he really writing on behalf of these prophets of which we have no manuscript or historical evidence whatsoever? Right. So here's what has to be understood here. Joseph Smith was writing these things in the 1800s, and he's supposedly writing for these prophets that you know existed hundreds of years before Christ even came. And so he is writing about prophetic events in the future from the time of these prophets, but he's writing from a time in which he can look back in hindsight and see that these things have come to pass. Yeah. And so again, yeah. we get back to this, That's you know, right. one of these things are not like the other, you know. That's right. Well, and like when he predicts in First uh, Nephi 10 that John the Baptist is going to baptize in Bethabara, I mean, that kind of thing just is not what you see in the Old Testament at all. There's nothing like that. The only specific prophecies, predictions, I should say, that the prophets made were in regard to the captivity in Babylon um, and where God is telling his people what's going to happen. But the Old Testament prophets uh, were always pointing, and everything everyone understood that the, in some way this is going to be fulfilled by means of Messiah, but they didn't know how until the Messiah came, and then yeah. it made sense. Yeah. I think yeah, that the we Old could Testament, say – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the Old Testament prophets, they were clear enough to where when the fulfillment came along, we can all recognize it. But they, weren't so, they weren't so clear that people would try to mimic the fulfillment of those prophecies. Right. 
Right. I think, I mean, <clears throat> Jeremiah, for example, when, it, when Matthew said that it might be fulfilled, uh, which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah and Ramah, uh, weeping was heard, etc. When, when that said, Jeremiah would look at that and say, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's the fullest sense of it. It is now fulfilled um, with that. So it's a totally different animal uh, with that. It, it would be worth, I mean, I, I think I was trying to run through it really fast and give way too much info. Uh, but I think that if people would take the time to look at it, uh, they would see the difference between the prediction fulfillment model that we see in the Book of Mormon and the way that the actual prophets uh, functioned. Um, so, anyway, I think we've so, got a fourth point. Yeah, we do, and and this may be something that we get to do every week. I don't know, and I guess we could call that uh, the anachronism of the week. And there you go. You know, an anachronism is simply when you take your own time and culture and experience and try to read it back into history. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when I read the Book of Mormon, and I mentioned this last week, like I feel like I'm reading somebody, you know, give this take from an 1850 or, you know, mid-1800s lens here. Yeah. And, yeah, that's and, right. And one of the things, and I guess, you know, we actually came up with a couple this week, so I'll have mine and you can have yours, but just to yeah. go ahead and throw this out here and you know the King James English is kind of getting to me because that, <laughs> that just wasn't the way that it was in the 1800s and so yeah. uh, again it just looks to me like you know Joseph Smith is trying to you know convince the critics that hey I'm yeah I'm using the language of God here you know yes yes well nothing sounds more biblical than if you put an eth or an est on the end of the word <laughs> <laughs> but um okay you kind of already hinted at yours but um i've got mine here um in uh first nephi 8 and verse 2 and it came to pass that while my father tarried in the wilderness he spake unto us saying behold i have dreamed a dream or in other words i have seen a vision that just struck me as very funny <laughs> and very out of place there. That's an odd um, – the syntax there doesn't quite fit. Um, no. I've never seen that in the Bible where a person says, I've dreamed a dream. In other words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so okay. that's our um, anachronisms for the week. But, you know, we're we're rapidly uh, approaching the – the time that we try to keep these two. And of course, we are the Mormon Hope podcast. So look, yes. our goal is not simply to tear down the foundations of Mormonism. We want to give you a sure foundation that you can build upon. And I think in light of this week's lesson and Come Follow Me, in which the clear theme seems to be, you know, trust the prophet, don't ask questions, and it's so important that it could cost you salvation, you know, yeah, um, I would just like to encourage our listeners. Listen, uh, you don't have to blindly trust the word of these so-called prophets. Right. Um, you don't. That's you don't right. have to do it with Joseph Smith. You don't have to do it with the modern day apostles. Truth is not fluid and always changing. It's not subjective. What a comfort to know that Amen. you can trust the Bible. Yeah, you, you can right. trust the clear written words 
of the Old Testament prophets and Jesus Christ. I know that comes as a shock, but the New Testament apostles who were eyewitnesses, they were actual eyewitnesses right. to the ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, as far as, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about the Old Testament prophets. I mean, who better to put their stamp of approval on it than Jesus himself? Yes. And yeah, so, right. we, you know, truth does. I mean, I can't imagine living in a world where truth was always fluid and subject to change based on who was in power at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't think that, you know, anything that we're doing here is uh, attacking or te- tearing down the foundation of Mormonism. But rather, what we're doing is pointing out that there is no foundation to Mormonism, that yes. uh, it is built on sand, which is why it shifts so much, so frequently over the years and has shifted. And we are watching a colossal shift right now um, in the Mormon culture. And, Absolutely. Uh, I, you know, my prediction still stands. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. But I have predicted for 15 years that the Mormon Church will eventually embrace homosexuality. When they do, I I think that many of those who are right now arguing that it won't will say, "Oh, of course, yeah, we're with it." Yeah, I mean, we have no reason to believe that it won't. I think it's getting closer than it's ever been. Yeah, I think that they have. They just haven't uh, done it officially. I think that's where it's at now. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, you begin unofficially and then you get official with it. That's right. Somebody said that the reason evangelical churches um, are embracing women as pastors right now is because the women have been running the church for 100 years. They just made it official. (laughs) And uh, I think that's a good point. And I think that the same can be said, you know, the rank and file LDS Members, the ones that I know, have defended and affirmed homosexuality for a long time. So it's really just a matter of time before the church itself does. Absolutely. And so, but isn't it wonderful to know that we have an objective, proven standard that never changes? The unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, bearing our sin and God's wrath against it, so that we could be pardoned and reconciled to God and have peace with God and know him. And that's what gives us hope. That's the hope and the glory of the gospel. Absolutely, that we have truth. And Amen. So that's Amen. our time for this week. But again, you know, be on the lookout each week as we uh, study along with Come Follow Me the LDS curriculum all throughout the year, every week. So anyway, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Comments, questions, criticism. Of course, if it's criticism, all those go to Pastor Malinak. So (laughs) I just, Pastor Malinak, you should go ahead and give your uh, email address. Okay. Yes, it's um, Preacher of Grace. (laughs) No. I hear you. It's uh, my email address is p. Like as in Pastor P. Malinak, my last name, spelled M A L L I N A K at gmail.com. And you can reach me, um, actually me, at Preacher of Grace 
at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, we love you. God bless.